Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Good morning everyone. As Pastor Spencer said, my name is Jeff and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Southside. Whether you're with us in the room or you've joined us online today, I just wanna say welcome here. We've been journeying through the book of John as a church. We just finished up in John 17, which is where we find the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. Pastor Mike worked to demystify what prayer is. We walked through what is prayer, how do we pray, how did Jesus pray, what did he pray for. One of my favorite moments was when Pastor Mike talked about how we're able to bring our cares to Jesus in prayer, no matter how trivial they may seem. So he made a joke about how he was praying for his golf game. So that week, I decided that I too would pray for my golf game. And believe it or not, that very weekend, I shot the best round I had in years. So prayer works, everyone. God is on the move. (laughs) In another one of those weeks, He shared a little bit about Maddie Hardy's story. If you don't know Maddie, you've gotta get to know her. She is on staff here, part of our world-class kids team. She's looking after the preschool ages as we speak. Just a small glimpse into her story is that years ago, Maddie was in a battle with cancer, a fight for her life. One morning, she received a pass from Abbotsford Oncology, came down to church that Sunday morning joined the worship team, and led the song that you heard this morning, It Is Well. Even though she was going through that season, she stood on the stage and said, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Pastor Mike received more feedback and encouragement for that message than many in quite a long time, and so we figured that God was up to something. So we're taking a two-week pause in our journey through the book of John to focus on the story that that song was written about, a story of Jesus and his disciples going through a storm. Last week, Pastor Spencer shared part one. If you missed it, you're gonna want to go find it on YouTube or podcast and hear it. I guarantee it will change your life. So we're gonna pick things up in Mark 4, verses 35 to 39. It says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. I think we can hear this story this morning and it's relatable for all of us. We've all had seasons in our life when it's been calm skies and smooth sailing and then all of a sudden the storm comes and we were not expecting it. I wanna take some time this morning and share a bit of my story, my wife's story, Brittany, and a storm that came into our life that we went through. And before we do, I just gotta take us back a little bit to how Britt and I grew up, just to give you a little bit of context. My wife was born into a Christian family. Her parents were pastors. 
just a picture of stability. Britt was born and raised in Chilliwack, same home her whole life, same school, kindergarten to grade 12, same church. I mean, everything about her life was stable. My growing up was a little bit different. I was born in Ontario, and just before I turned two, my brother was born, and my mom separated from my biological father and moved out to British Columbia. When I was four, my mom met a guy when I was six. They were married, and he's the guy that I've called dad to this day, and I am so grateful for him, the support that he's been to my mom, the way he's loved my brother and I. He's a good man. You know, he officially adopted us, and we took on his last name, and so I'm really, really grateful for the upbringing I had and love my parents that they were there for us. They showed us that they loved us so much. But as I began to get a little bit older, you know, I met Jesus when I was 11, started going to church when I was 14, but really got involved more when I was in high school. And so I was in high school and I'd start to see all these other families with both their parents present. And I had a great life, don't, don't get me wrong, but meeting Britt when I was younger and in high school and seeing her family and just kind of wondering, what was it like for people to grow up with both their parents? Grow up in church. You know, Britt had a bunch of cousins on both sides. They'd always have big Christmases and Thanksgivings and I had... None of that. So what was it like to grow up with a big family in that way? So there's this ambiguous cloud, I guess you could say, in, like my, in my family tree, and all I could think of it was that it was abandonment. That never once did my biological father think of me or want to reach out to me or... Abandonment. So when Britt and I started dating and were engaged, we talked about family a lot. It mattered a lot to us. If you had asked my wife what she wanted to be when she grew up, she would have said a mom without a moment's hesitation. And I wanted to be a great dad. I wanted to be able to establish a home that was secure for our kids that I would never, ever abandon them. So when Bert and I got married in 2011, we had thought, oh, I think, you know, we'll probably want a big family. I think we landed on like six kids or something like that. And we didn't really have a plan for any of that. I remember I was in church one morning and I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to trust me with your family. So I told Britt about that. And it was October 2013 that we pulled the goalie and started trying to have kids. <laughs> we thought it would just happen right away too. You know, no one really talks about how long it takes you know, we were so excited. We even started talking with some of our friends. They had either just had kids, were in the same stage of life, and so we were dreaming. What's it gonna be like for our kids to grow up together? They're gonna go to the same school, same church. They'll play sports together. Maybe some of them will even fall in love. How fun would that be? And then one month of trying turned into two months, turned into six months. And we were praying and believing and trusting God and but then we'd just be met with disappointment again and again. You have to be trying for a year before you get referred to an endocrinologist who is a doctor that specializes in hormones and you get referred to a gynecologist, which is a doctor that specializes in, you know. So, um, so we got referred on to the specialists, the right ones, and we went through months and months and months of testing. And after that, those months and months and months, they classified us as having unexplained infertility. 
they had no idea why we couldn't get pregnant. And so from there, we were referred on to Olive Fertility Clinic based out of Vancouver. They were specialists in their field, so we met with them. They recommended that we try three IUIs. None of them worked. And then they said that the next step in our process was to think about doing in vitro fertilization, IVF for short. I'm not going to get into the details of what happens in IVF, but let me just say that my wife is incredible. What she went through is nothing short of impressive and admirable. And man, it's all so fascinating too. I know a lot about the female reproductive system now. <laughs> and it is a miracle. I mean, the, the way that the timing has to happen, when the baby is formed, at what moments, when their eyes, like it is a miracle. So we started the process, you know, we paid all our money, and we came out the other side with two little embryos, and we were ecstatic. Because those four years for us, it was August 30th, 2017, when they finally, we finally arrived at this moment, two embryos, and they transferred one to Brett. Four years, one big storm. And there'd be different moments that were harder than others, for sure. You know, we'd, we'd have some months where we were really trusting God, believing in his timing, feeling really good about it, but then we'd be caught off guard by a pregnancy announcement. Or we'd be hanging out with some friends, and we'd be coming home from one of their kids' birthday parties. You know, one of those kids that was born after we had decided that we wanted to start to have kids. Ours were supposed to grow up with them, you know? or Mother's Day and Father's Day every year. So we got to this moment where our life had been rocked constantly, never ending for four years, and all of our hope was in these little embryos. This was gonna be the answer. This was the solution to what we've been looking for. This was the moment that God was going to deliver on his promises that when we trusted him with his family, he would be trustworthy. So because we were in private health care, we had access to earlier testing. And so we went in, Britt had a blood test and to check to see if she was pregnant. And I remember that day so clearly. We had just been doing a bunch of stuff that day, just running around doing errands. And we had just walked up the stairs into my physio uh, office where I was about to go in for an appointment and they called us just before we went in the door. And the nurse said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And we were ecstatic. I was quite a week. I remember that night we drove around a lot, going to see all of our family and friends, celebrating that this had been the moment that God had come through, that the storm was over. It's routine to go back in a few days later to get Brit's blood tested again just to see that the levels were going up. And the nurse called us and said that our numbers were kind of concerning, that they hadn't gone up the amount that they were expected to. And so initially we were, yeah, there was disappointment, but then right away we're like, nah, this can't be it. We called our family and friends and said, we gotta pray. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is the moment that God had brought us to. All of our hope was in this moment. So we prayed and said, a, doc a bad doctor's report doesn't matter because God can come through. So Britt went in 
for another blood test and the numbers came back and the nurse said, great news, they've gone up a ton, things are looking great, but let's do one more, a few more days from now just to check and see that everything continues to go up. So we were pumped up, called our family and friends, said this was an answer to prayer, God came through, of course he did, we knew that this was the moment. And the call after that next blood test wasn't disconcerting, it was bad news. They asked us to, to drive out to Vancouver and after many ultrasounds and blood tests and then being admitted into the hospital, many more ultrasounds and blood tests and eventually a surgery, they diagnosed Britt as having an unviable ectopic pregnancy. And the reason that it had been so hard for them to figure out was that her little baby was in Brit's cornua, which is where the fallopian tube and uterus connect, and that area is inoperable because of how many blood vessels and everything that happens there. And so it was actually quite a dangerous ectopic pregnancy. They said that if anything ruptured, that it would be life-threatening for Brit. And that our best case was that we would hope in the next days or weeks that Brit would miscarry safely. So we were just expected to go about our, li our lives and every day I would just think like if something goes wrong today, my wife could die. I was so scared. We were at a youth and young adults conference at our church a couple weeks later and it had been such an incredible night. Hundreds of people in the room. Speaker had done amazing. There was just a bunch of people standing at the front, responding to God, praying for one another. And I remember Britt and I were standing at the back, just holding hands. The pastor had been praying for some kids and he hopped back on the stage and grabbed the microphone and he, he said, God just spoke to me. And he has a message for someone in the room today. He said, there's... There's a girl in the room who's having some really serious issues with her reproductive system. And God wants you to know that everything's gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. So the moment my wife left the auditorium doors that night, she miscarried. It was October 20th, 2017 almost four years to the day that God had said, trust me with your family. My storm overtook me. Jesus and his friends were in the storm and they go over to him and they say, Jesus, don't you care? that we're going to drown. There's waves crashing over the boat. And God had just shown me that he cared. A room of hundreds of people. And he gave a message just to my wife and I saying that she was gonna be okay, but it was not enough for me. My wife was fine and I was grateful but my baby was dead. So those next weeks and months, just over a year, were really long.
I was pretty numb. My emotions would ebb and flow like crazy. There'd be some days that I'd think, man, if only I'd prayed a bit more, or maybe if I'd read my Bible more, or maybe there was areas in my heart that I hadn't surrendered to God, and if I had, then maybe... Or sometimes I would just be so mad. All my wife ever wanted was to be a mom, and he took that from her. This was supposed to be the moment that I was finally gonna be a dad and be able to tell them that I'd always be there, raise a secure and stable home that I would never abandon my kids, but God had abandoned us. Over those next months, I went on a bit of a journey with God. You know, I had... No one, no one on my thought pretty well, been through a lot of things, seen him working in my life. And what I began to realize was at times I had treated God like he was some kind of cosmic gumball machine. You know, you put in your quarter and you get your gumball. I would pray my prayers and I would expect that I get what I want. That at times my faith had been built upon results, that circumstances would come into my life and they would shake me, that I could be moved around. This is not something that started to change in me overnight. But even preparing for this morning, you know, I'd still feel the shrapnel in my heart pouring through Brit's journals and trying to remember everything that had happened. But then God began to shift some things in me, and I, I want to talk about this story in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. The Jewish people had just been conquered by this nation called Babylon. They became slaves in their own country, and there was these four young guys who were recognized as having incredible leadership capacity. They were intelligent and wise and had great knowledge of how government should work. And so they were taken from among the Jewish people and sent to the Babylonian capital where they were quickly promoted and recognized for their skills. And one of those young guys' name was Daniel. And Daniel had been given a unique gift by God. Daniel could interpret dreams. So one night it says the king had a dream, maybe a bit more like a nightmare, and didn't know what was going on. And so one of his advisors had somehow heard about Daniel. Daniel was brought before the king and interpreted this dream, and the king was satisfied with it, very happy. And so Daniel and his three other friends were promoted to be overseers for the entire capital. Shortly after, Daniel was called away on business somewhere else and the three friends were left behind and things started to take a turn for them. You see, the king had decided to build a 90-foot statue of himself. And it was done, when it was done being built, he decreed that when the music played, that everyone had to go to the statue and bow down and worship. But the three friends refused to do so, so they were brought before the king and that's where we pick it up in Daniel 3. 
It says, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the names of the three friends. That you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, which is the name of the king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. We can't miss this this morning. Something that I missed for a very long time. They respond to the king and they say, if you throw us into the blazing furnace, then our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. It's two pretty distinct statements there. A statement of faith saying, God will. But in this statement that when I read it, I had to hear and learn that even if he doesn't, everything is gonna be okay. Even if he doesn't. Those of you who know Britt and I would know that we have a little girl now. Her name is Kensington. She was born on November 11th, 2019, and she is the greatest gift. She was our second little embryo. I'm sure you can imagine when we found out we were pregnant with her, we had some nerves. So we had just made it through all of our blood tests and things were looking great. All the levels were exceeding expectations and we had made it to our four-week ultrasound. It was the night before and Britt was already asleep. She used to go to bed way earlier than I did and I was just on YouTube and video had just ended and I thought, ah, it's not too early yet. I'll find something else to watch and saw that one of my favorite bands, Hillsong United, based out of a church in Australia, they had just released a new song. So I was so excited, I clicked on it. It had just released, barely a thousand people had seen it. And so turned my headphones way up, listened to it. And the song was about this story in Daniel that I just shared with you guys. The song was about this story that God had used to change my life. And I felt so comforted that night. I felt like that song was released just for me after everything we'd been through now to be pregnant again, heading into this season. It was like God saw me and that song came out just for me. I listened to it over and over and over again that night, well over an hour. Remember, I slept like a rock. Then that next morning, Britt woke me up, panicked. She had bled a lot, as much as when she had miscarried. And so we were devastated, inconsolable, and 
Brooke called the fertility clinic and said, hey, we're not gonna drive out because we miscarried, so. They said, please still drive out just based on your history. We wanna make sure that you're okay and that you're gonna be safe, and so we hopped into the car and I put on that song that had come out the night before, and we just listened to it on a repeat on the drive into Vancouver. And we're holding Britt's hand and we didn't say much. It was just past Langley that I remember finally just building the courage just not to say out loud, but just to think in that moment, God, even if you don't, everything's gonna be okay. And I don't know how much I believed it even a moment later, but I remember having that thought and we made it into Vancouver, got checked in and they did the ultrasound and then the doctor said the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Do you wanna hear your baby's heartbeat? Four weeks old and our little Kenzie was so strong, you could already hear her heart beating. I didn't finish that story with the three friends and the king. It says that that king was so mad that he did what he said he was gonna do. He threw them into the furnace. It says that it was so hot that a few of the soldiers who had been tasked with throwing them in actually died from the heat. So they were tossed in there and it says that the king looked into the furnace and said, I thought we threw three men in but I see four walking around unbound and one of them looks like a God. The king calls them out and the three friends come out completely unharmed. There was another in the fire. God's presence was with them in the fire. I don't share the end of the story in Daniel to have the focus be that they got out unharmed. I share that to say that they were never alone. And I don't share the end of Brit and I's story so that the focus is that we now have Kenzie, but the fact that we were never alone because my heart still aches for our first baby. My camera roll should be twice as full and it's not and it hurts sometimes but I know that God was always with us. So how do you get to a spot where you can say, even if he doesn't, everything's gonna be okay? You get there by seeing him and the things that he has done in your life, by being able to look back at the miracles and his faithfulness. Looking back at that time that you were in financial crisis, you had no idea how you were gonna make your next mortgage payment. But you sit here today and God provided. He has been so generous with you and in turn, you are being generous with others. At time that the trajectory for your marriage was divorced, it was irreparable. There was no way forward, but you sit here today beside your spouse, knowing that God brought you back together and restored it 
and you're thriving. A time that you were addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography and now you sit here free and it's something that doesn't weigh you down anymore. A time that depression was so heavy. That that fog could not be moved, that you thought the sun would never shine again, but you sit here today knowing that there's a bright future for you, that God has a hope for you and he has a plan for you. Or maybe today you're saying, actually, Jeff, my storm is so big and it's right in my face that I'm having a hard time looking back. Maybe you would say, Jeff, I haven't been this depressed in a long time. Can I just say that although the rest of us may not be able to see that, that God does, and he is so proud of you for getting out of bed and coming to church today. He really is. And even though we may not be able to see that everything's gonna be okay today or maybe even tomorrow. Can you look back with me for a second to the cross? That what Jesus died for you and that he has promised eternity that although we'll have times on earth where it doesn't feel like everything's gonna be okay, one day everything will be okay. We're going to a place where there is no weeping, there's no pain, there's no sickness, there is no depression. You're gonna make it through. Or maybe today you're in a storm and you'd say, I'm in one because it's actually my own fault. I made some really dumb decisions, I made some really big mistakes and I feel like I'm all alone because I've earned it. I've been there. When I was 19, I blew up my life. I made some really, really dumb decisions, some really big mistakes. And what we find is that, in general, people are really kind and and gracious to people who are in a storm that isn't their fault. You know, when Britt and I were going through our stuff, people, for the most part, were, were really kind to us. But then if someone blows their life up, people can be pretty judgmental, mean sometimes. Lots of times it's Christians. And honestly, I've been that person before. I've seen people blow up their life and go, well, welcome to the consequences of your actions. And I hate that that's been my response. I hate that I haven't led with mercy and kindness. I'm trying to change that. But what can happen is that we take that judgment from people and we attribute it to God and we imagine ourselves going to Jesus in the boat, waking him up and saying, hey, um, Jesus, I, the storm's on me, big mistake, but is there any chance you can help? And it's like we imagine Jesus getting up and going, oh yeah, this one's pretty bad. Um, Welcome to the consequences of your actions. Hopefully you make it out the other side. And he hops out of the boat and walks on the water away from us. No matter what storm you're in today, if you had nothing to do with it or if you had everything to do with it, Jesus will stay in your boat. He is not going to leave you. He's gonna work with you through the whole thing. You're gonna come out the other side. You will survive and everything's gonna be okay. Maybe it's your first day in church or you're pretty new to Southside or you grew up in church and you're back for the first time in a while. 
I want you to know that I don't think you're here by accident this morning. And however you ended up here, maybe you searched churches in my area. Maybe you've had a friend or family member or neighbor or coworker who's been asking you, and today is the day you've made it out. Or maybe you live up on Promontory and you've seen our church from up there and thought, ah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give them a chance. I believe that you're here this morning to hear me say this. Everything is going to be okay. That God loves you so much that he sent his son here to earth to to live a perfect and sinless life. And Jesus died for this broken world, for our sins and mistakes, past, present, and future. And he was buried, but then he rose again and left the tomb empty, and then he ascended to heaven to be with his Father. And now we are offered eternal life. But if we sat down today and I could hear a little bit of your story, I bet if we looked back a couple weeks or a month, maybe even up to a year, that we could find God's fingerprints all over you coming here today. Because he's always been with you. And listen, he never promised that we would get through life unscathed. In fact, Jesus said that storms will come. And then he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. I invite everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. In this moment, if you'd say, yeah, that's me, I wouldn't say that I really know God or maybe haven't wanted to get to know him, but I'm here for a reason today and I'm new to Southside and I don't even know how I'm here, but I feel like God's speaking to me and he wants and I wanna know him. And you wanna take a moment and give your heart to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand right now this morning? Awesome, thank you. If you're online and it's safe for you to do so, I'd encourage you just to raise your hand as well. I'm gonna pray. God, I thank you for each story that those hands represent. The way that you've orchestrated each of those people coming here to meet you today. God, we thank you that you sent your son so that we may have life here on earth, but life abundantly for eternity in heaven. I pray that this week, for everyone in the room, that you bring moments to mind where you were there, but maybe we didn't quite see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. If you just rose your hand this morning, can you do me a favor after the service is done and text LIFE to our number 604-670-3040. We'd love to be able to help you take your next steps here at Southside. Remember that song that I talked about a bit earlier? I really wanted you guys to hear it today. So my friend Mike is gonna, gonna sing it in just a moment. I want you to remain seated just in a moment of reflection. And if you can, just look back on those moments where there was another in the fire. 
and just thank him from your heart that he was there. One more thing, if, if you are going through infertility and that journey today, I just wanna tell you that I am so sorry. That all, although life keeps moving around you, there's this unseen longing in you, I want you to know that God sees you today. That although it's not looking how you thought it would, he really is trustworthy. So I'm gonna be praying for you. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.